Welcome back to Season 3 of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Stefano Bini. In this series of podcasts, we are highlighting the best presentations from the January 2020 San Francisco Digital Orthopedics Conference, otherwise known as DOCSF, presented in partnership with UCSF's Department of Orthopedic Surgery, and the November 2019 DOCSF Berlin Conference, presented in partnership with Frontiers Health. On this, episode 12 of season 3, we present the fourth case study from DOCSF 2020. Apprentice Health is focused on the use of artificial intelligence and sensors to optimize the use of fixed resources in the context of the outpatient clinic. Their pilot study at Duke University was so successful that Duke decided to deploy them system-wide. That sort of success suggests that the technology addresses a real pain point. Here to tell us more is the CEO and founder of Apprentice Health, Dr. Rajiv Sivendran, who put his residency training on hold to start his company. He'll be presenting to Mark Goldstein, chair of UCSF's Health Hub, and his expert panel. Let's join them on stage at DocSF 2020. Health Hub is UCSF's Innovation Hub. We are a nonprofit. We are backed by Silicon Valley's venture capital community. We work really closely not only with folks like Stefano and other people within UCSF who are amazing inventors and physicians that are trying to basically get their ideas and products to market, but we help all of the companies nationwide and especially in the Bay Area work with UCSF. And these can be seed stage companies, these can be Series A or later stage companies. And the idea, and we're getting there with Health Hub, is we believe that UCSF is at the center of healthcare innovation worldwide. A great reason for that is San Francisco is the center of innovation worldwide. And UCSF definitely is, if not one, one of the two or three most reputable institutions. So that's what Health Hub is. Health Hub is two years, two years along. We have about 3,000 member companies and we have about 8,000 members. So I, first of all, would invite all of you to sign up for Health Hub. There are slides that'll come up or we'll basically send you, send you links so you can get additional information and find out all about this. And we're really privileged, for example, to have, and you could just keep rolling through some of this. It's not that important for, for this session. Keep rolling. One of the things that we also do is we have this match.com and what we set product. We connect companies with advisors and investors and we do this and we do dozens of these a day. And here's just an example, and you can just keep rolling through here. Another example of who we connected. Look at that. I can do it myself. <laughs> and that, that's really it. This is really about an amazing event, DocSF. And Stefano is super involved with us at Health Hub. He's super active across UCSF. And it's just a, a privilege for me to be a part of the DocSF. And this is my third year, and I'm gonna, I intend to be coming for the next 10 years. <laughs> Rajiv is going to come up next, and oh, I don't even get to introduce him. Okay. <laughs> Stay up here with me if you want to tell the story. So how many of you guys have used Google calendars and have like your children's calendar and your um, Peloton biking club? So you've got this cluster and you're trying to figure out, and I mean that in a nice way, you've got this cluster of activities and all these people in your life that you're trying to coordinate. So you know what that picture looks like. So we've got different colors, different needs and different time slots, and you're trying to figure out meetings. 
Same thing like when you're trying to get together a group of people and you send out a doodle calendar to figure out who's available for these different times. So actually, that's what we find happens a lot in our inpatient settings where we are trying to figure out how do we meet the needs of the people who need us, work with the teams who are able to provide those services and put them in the right places at the right time and make sure all of those things come together seamlessly. So, to help us understand how that is happening, please welcome Rajiv Sevanandran, who is the CEO and co-founder of Apprentice Health. Thank you so much, Dakasef, for having me today. So, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Apprentice Health. So, at Apprentice Health, we use sensors and software to improve clinic and hospital efficiency. And the talk we're going to be having today is predominantly going to be about clinic efficiency. So as background on myself, so I'm a physician. So until I started the company two years ago, I was an attending internist at Brigham and Women's Hospital, where I also did my training. But one day, actually during business school, I had an idea that I couldn't get out of my head, was that, that ambient computing was arriving and that this data would be essential to finally transform the patient experience as well as operational efficiency. And so the problem that we are trying to solve at Apprentice Health is to help health systems better allocate the $1.5 trillion that are spent every year on the people, the space, and the equipment. Because we believe that optimal allocation of these precious resources are really the key for higher value care, lower costs, and better quality. And our thesis of the industry is that the reason that we are in such dire straits is that we lack both key data and data science needed to improve operations in particular. And that the lack of the system is the central reason for the $140 billion that are wasted each year in operational inefficiencies, as well as the hundreds of billions of dollars that are wasted from getting care at the wrong site of care. So at Apprentice Health, our solution is to give both the missing data and the data science to improve clinic efficiency. We have our own connected real-time location system that we built ourselves, able to get room level accuracy without any wiring, easy to deploy. We have a data science layer where we can take this data and EHR data combined with multiple techniques, simulation, deep learning, optimizations, and understand really where the inefficiencies in clinic flow are. And then we have a software layer where we can deliver these insights on improving operations at the point of care. And so we take this and we focus on improving patient scheduling, real-time workflow, clinical staffing, and space management in clinics. So just to deep dive and, and get to the point. So our first clinic that we ever worked with was Duke Orthopedics. Duke is a central partner of ours. They've been great to innovate with. And the problem that Duke Orthopedics Clinic had was they had a wait time problem. So the average cycle time at this clinic was about 60 minutes. I think as a lot of the orthopedics here, attendings would appreciate how difficult it is to manage flow in the clinic when you have x-ray patients, new patients, and return patients. And Duke Orthopedics was struggling with this problem. Even more importantly, their Spine Institute has data, which they're actually publishing soon, that every 10 minutes of extra wait time is associated with a 10% decrease in patient satisfaction scores. And that even more than that, it decreases the trust in the physician, and it's likely going to decrease medication compliance, and it financially it leads to bad reviews and churn. So they came to us and asked, how do we reduce this patient wait time problem? How do we use our space more optimally? And then how do we visualize our current problems and then how to improve? So what we did is we came in and we deployed very quickly our own real-time location system over the course of two hours. 
without any wiring, achieving industry-first real-time location with very inexpensive Bluetooth technology. We quickly just integrated into their Wi-Fi system, so we didn't need any epic integration for the pilots. We were live within weeks of approval, and we got a data dump of their appointment history. That's all it took in terms of IT implementation, very lightweight. And then clinic staff handed out beacons, so think similar to RFID track technology where we can sense the location of patients in real time, as well as staff members. And then we gave out educational materials. So I think in the previous talk, we talked about a lot about patient privacy and staff privacy. And so we really drilled down on educating staff why this was so important for improving patient experience and staff experience, as well as financial return. And so the solution that we came up with the problem of the patient wait time problems is how to solve the scheduling problem for clinics. So yesterday, Dr. Bozek spoke a lot about block scheduling for ORs, which is kind of the master controller of how much revenue and cost your operating rooms are going to have. It turns out in the same way, clinic scheduling templates are also the master controller of patient experience, revenue, and staffing costs in your clinic, in that there is no solution on the market. So this is completely untouched space that's been neglected for decades. And the lack of really good scheduling templates is the reason for poor patient experience and long wait times in clinics. And without sensors, existing EHR data is actually not good enough to improve the average clinic's scheduling templates and operations. The metadata is actually, at scale, not good enough. And so what we did with our sensor data and the EHR data, we took this, we put it through our simulation, we put it through our deep learning, our process mining, and we came up with better templates based on what the data actually said the template should be. And so this is just a visualization of what an old template looks like. A typical orthopedics clinic is very busy. Multiple patients are scheduled at the same time. There's a kind of a rolling cadence over the course of the day. Patients back up. Nobody really knows when they back up. Space has to be shared among many clinicians. X-ray space, shared X-ray techs. It's quite the ordeal. But what we did is we presented a new template for every physician and told them, this is what's going to do for your patient wait times. So we predict this is going to reduce your patient wait times by 40%, sometimes 20%, sometimes 30%, without increasing your length of day at all. And what we did is we actually, after three months of data collection, gave these new templates to all of the attendings. We implemented it. Everybody was like, we'll give this a shot. We've, the problem's been so bad. Let's finally see if we can improve it. And what we found was that, that there was a tremendous improvement. So with new scheduling templates based on this data, we were able to reduce patient wait times by 25% in the first round. This likely goes up to 50% in the next round of improvement. And importantly, we were able to free up 10% more room in exam room space. So what our simulations told us is that in that clinic, there's actually room for two entire more attendings on an average clinic day than previously without any bottlenecks coming from adding them to that clinic. No need for extra support staff, front desk staff, more patients treated, the same fixed costs. And that if we did this at scale after this pilot, it would double their profit margin, as well as fundamentally transform their patient experience. And so what we learned from this is that it is possible to actually change scheduling templates in the outpatient arena. So just like block scheduling in the OR, scheduling templates in clinic are, can be very political, can be very hard to change. And, but we found that having a clinical champion who's an attending physician or a fellow in the clinic is essential. If you have that, you can be really set up for success. We also learned that showing this data in real time is really important to keeping staff engaged. So when we started, we built this all from scratch during Y Combinator as a team of two before we scaled. And we didn't show anybody any data. We thought we would be passively there in the background, 
out of everybody's way. It turned out they didn't like that. They actually wanted us to show them data. They wanted to be us to email them. They wanted us to be engaged. And so as we, as we move forward, it turns out it's not always good to actually be purely ambient. People want the human touch. They want to see data. They want to interact with you. And importantly, executive involvement is really key during a pilot so that you can quickly scale. So what we have found is that you don't necessarily need an executive to be there all the time during the, during the clinic pilot, but they should maybe know about you so that as the results are waiting to come in, they can scale. And so what Duke Health did actually really well. So I think yesterday somebody said Duke was very slow. So we've actually had a, a very, the, the opposite interaction with them. What we found is that the executives at Duke were waiting for our results to come out as the results were coming back. They were already having board meetings about us while we were waiting for results. And so within the week of the results coming back, we were already being fast-tracked for enterprise rollout. So we're actually going to be rolled out over 90 Duke clinics and be optimizing all of their outpatient operations starting next month. And that combination of the clinical champion, that orthopedic surgeon, as well as the executives of operations and access was really what set this up for improvement. We had problems. So even though we we're being scaled across the system, we weren't perfect. So for many physicians, we didn't give them a schedule that improved their flow. And the reason was, it turned out, nobody knew that their patient volumes were drastically increasing per session. So some, some attendings went from seeing 15 patients to 20 patients per day. We didn't account that in our models because we weren't integrated into Epic in real time at that point. But their clinic staff didn't actually know. So the, administ the administrative staff, Epic reporting is so bad that they didn't know that their patient volumes were increasing. And we were still building, so we weren't on top of our game either. And so that was a really key learning point of getting key data, but that if you show people that you can quickly improve and fix it, they will still go to bat for you if you show some results, they trust you, and then they can scale you afterwards. And so that was really our, our biggest learning. We've, apart from that, we've learned that health systems actually can move fast. So all of our customers are actually very large health systems. So our average customers, a six to $8 billion health system doing a couple billion dollars in outpatient revenue. And we have found that there's this, starting to be this transition point of rapid scale after pilots. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rajiv. I don't need that. So when I was asked to moderate this panel, I realized I actually knew Rajiv. Well, Rajiv also went to Penn, so I was a huge fan of that. But I saw him at Y Combinator, and it's amazing the progress this guy has made. This is a great idea. Now, I run UCSF Health Hub, but it's a nonprofit. I have a day job. My day job is I'm a venture capitalist. I've actually invested in a number of clinic companies. I've invested in a company called Forward, which is here in San Francisco, a company called Carbon Health, which is building out a network of clinics, and a company called Dr. Consulta, which is in Brazil that actually has already opened 600 clinics. Clinics are really, really important. And what Rajiv is doing, it's sort of like if you're, think of your own in the health, hotel business. Clinics have to focus on hospitality and satisfaction, and so as do hotels. And without systems like what Rajiv has, it's not going to happen. So this is really exciting how it's evolved. So I'm the moderator, so I get to pretty much shut up. But I have three amazing panelists that I would like to introduce for this case study to, uh, to drill Rajiv a little bit. So the first panelist is uh, Vonda Wright. And Vonda is at Northside Hospital, whereas she's the head of orthopedics, and she's going to have a, quite a few great questions. Second is uh, Dr. Thomas Vale, and I know Thomas from UCSF. He heads all of orthopedics, and he thinks about this all the time, and be concerned. He's got some great questions for you. I've seen them. 
And then Nicholas Prosciutto. And Nicholas is our, our third panelist. He's the VP of Orthopedics Innovation at Dupuy, and which is J&J. And I've seen his questions too. You should also be very concerned. <laughs> so with that, I'm going to turn it over to the panelist. And let's see, uh, Nicholas, why don't you go first? Sure. So you've uh, a great presentation, by the way. So you've talked a little bit about scalability in there a few times, scaling across Duke. You had your lessons learned there. You know, what are your experiences or what you think your perceived challenges are as you scale across other institutions, you know, going from one or two to your 90 at Duke to 500? That's a great question. So that, that's how I spend most of my time thinking right now. Like, you know, as you guys might tell, it's execution is everything. And this is our year of execution implementation at scale. And so one of the keynote speakers yesterday, I think the first one, I, f I apologize, I forget his name, from Mozilla, spoke a lot about decentralized systems and letting users have their say. And so our Duke Orthopedics pilot, you can think of us as being very paternalistic. So at the time, we said, here's our new scheduling template that you should use. And the logic behind that, as a physician, I said, we can never mess up a physician's schedule. If we do, they will never trust us again. So we made very conservative assumptions. We spent a lot of time, a lot of human time, making sure that that was the truth. But that's not scalable. Like if you have a data scientist looking over the quality of every template, that's just not going to scale. If, you, if we have me going attending to attending, having calls about their template, like I can't scale to thousands of, of those kind of conversations. So we've now built it into the product. So we've made it self-serve. So we have spent the last year, while well, we've had the sales cycle of putting everything into what implementation is going to look like at scale to the point where now it's a user, once we're set up, somebody can have a, like a conference call with us if they have any questions, but they, for the most part, won't actually need to interact with our human data science team. The second part of that with like different health systems, the nice thing about our approach for us, we go new, a new place on a pilot is we don't have to integrate into EHR to begin with. We can just do a standard Wi-Fi connection, which is super easy. So we, everybody can get to know each other, land, get some early wins. And we can do that repeatedly ad nauseum. And then I think as we, as we layer on Duke, we're going to start more integration. So we have a couple other big name systems that we'll just layer on and we'll hire if we need to. So maybe a follow-up question. You talked about one of your differentiators was the, the templates that you're creating that haven't been created in the past. Are you creating those? And you said you're paternalistic and maybe a bit manual right now about creating those templates. I guess, how far are you from using your AI capabilities to automate the creation of those templates? And then when you do that, you know, what does your modeling show you about your accuracy now? What do you hope your accuracy will be in the future? So when you do your automated templating, you're getting it right 95% of the time. We are fully automated. The build is done. We are actually fully automated for patient scheduling, clinical staff bottlenecks, equipment utilization, provider scheduling in space. That's really, we literally have like a team heads down for like a year and we're accurate within minutes. I mean, so, so the clinicians that you're working with, when you implement that template, I guess, how often do they say you hit it right the first time or we need to sit down and start rejiggering this? Yeah. So we've never got it wrong. So in, in, in our data science has never been wrong. And I think that the key reason for that is that so deep learning AI is not enough. So for you need a really large data set to do that. We use a lot of simulation. So Lean Toss, who's the market leader in OR, same way. Simulation and other things outside of AI are actually the key driver that you want to start with as you layer on AI. 
And queuing theory is very well known. So I can model a clinic flow and build up a digital tin twin within weeks that is accurate there. And so we will always be right. The, the, the thing where things go wrong is when the steady state changes. So imagine you're a physician, all of a sudden you start doing a new procedure or you go have a new fellow and your process changes, or maybe you have a, like a huge spike in volume that we didn't anticipate. There's where we, well, we might be off a little bit. We're not going to be, it's not going to be like, it's not going to destroy your flow, but then we just remeasure and we prove because we're measuring in real time, it's going to be a pretty quick iteration. So w- would you be proactive about that? Would you notice there was a change in the practice habits and say, based on what we've just seen over the last quarter, you need to consider A, B, and C? Is, yeah. is it that automated? Yeah. We're basically going to be running quarterly simulations and process mining, though if somebody pinged us so that they can do it earlier. So beyond just templates, what we've evolved to is the entire command center for outpatient care. So we have an executive level dashboard, a practice management dashboard, where everybody can see all the trends and all the way to real time. So if somebody was like, our trend all of a sudden this week is crazy, like what's happened, they can just ping us and say, apprentice health, we need a new template or we need a new staffing schedule. And then we have that now automated so we could give it to them. Uh, thanks. Is that working? Yeah. Appreciate the opportunity to uh, ask some questions. Very inspiring. I think uh, what you're what you're touching on here is a real pain point in actual operations and clinic. I think we're probably one of the only departments in the country that has a chief technology officer because we're we're so. And that is Stefano Bini. Thank you very much, Stefano, uh, because we're interested in these these solutions. Ironically, I came from Duke to UCSF in uh, 2007. My question for you is in in practical application. You've talked a little bit about the the use of the data. But who, and, and I say this because as a, as a provider of care, I'm looking for solutions that don't layer on to our activities. So who actually touches this data and, and what's the turnaround for the provider to make an improvement on a clinic schedule? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And so we've now become like true like enterprise products. So you can imagine through the sausage making, we, have, we touch a lot of users, all like you know, the VP of operations all the way down to the front desk staff. What we what we do for this templates in particular is most physicians are way too busy to be staring at this data. And so for the first set of interventions, after we do three months of data collections, usually what we get for our baseline, what Duke, for example, is going to be doing is each practice manager is going to sit down with the physician and say, review their data. We have like a TurboTax for scheduling. So like, here's the three slides that best explains how you're doing with your flow, your wait time, and your cycle time, and what our recommendations would be. So you don't have to, as a physician, always be looking at the system. But then for power users, so we have what we have found is a lot of our practice managers love being power users. So we just any day they want, they can just have real-time access to really granular data, whereas the physicians don't have the time, but that's like what they want to spend their time on there. So there's kind of like two set of users, physicians who will look at this ad hoc to kind of get a sense of how they're doing and approve the template. And then practice managers who have basically super user access to look at this data as much as as they can. The other piece that we do, so we didn't start off by showing the data in real time, but we now have true real-time location. So at Duke, it's going to be LCD screens in every clinic, showing everybody where everybody is, predictive wait times, rooming suggestions. So it'll basically be real-time assistant to the medical assistants, telling them what patients have been waiting for a long time, who might need a glass of water, what room to optimally place somebody in so you don't have to walk too far to get to your room, that kind of level of user for the medical assistant. So everybody kind of has their own experience based on what their role in the clinic is. Yeah, just and the the next thing I was wondering about uh, here is the extent to which this 
becomes personalizable from the patient perspective, or you could say maybe horizontally scalable. So every patient maybe with the same description of a clinic visit follow-up for a total hip doesn't need the same amount of time. But we know something about that person that might allow us to predict how much time they need. And then at the at the back end, how that met their needs or didn't meet their needs. Yeah. Do you do you see your technology allowing that personalization of the experience? Yes. Yeah, so we'll be there by end of year of like next year. And so we already have the data science built out. We're already gonna be doing this with Duke. So it's gonna be personalized scheduling probably by year two of our strategic initiative for each other based on every patient variable. So we're going to be doing true deep learning of like, you know, what medications are you on? What, what are your labs like? What zip code is so that every patient gets their optimal spot on their template. This will work both in the OR and in the, the clinic. And so we're getting there all the way down to predictive patient costing. So I started the company actually to automate time-driven activity-based costing, which we think we have done for labor. And so we are also using this data Turns out it's also your accounting data that you can predict this way, but the answer is yes. We know that there are differences. We know that they're explainable even by things like age, medical history, and so it's just a matter of layering on over time. So I come at this from two different types of environments, knowing from both environments that I'm really excited for you to get this going. So before my current role running sports medicine where I am now, which is a build from the ground up, right? So I don't have three years of data to show you all my physicians are churning up. Now, coming from a very mature practice environment at the University of Pittsburgh, where all surgeons were seeing 40 to 50 to 60 patients at a time. So I know this is needed. So what you're telling me is that your observation of flow will help us with timing for all types of visits, new, return, MRI, follow-up. You'll be able to know exactly. But my question is, there's about a 20% catchment rate, 10 to 20. Some practices are set up different, but across the country for a surgeon needs to see 10 patients to book one surgery if they're doing it appropriately, unless they have a system set up. So we like to double book patients and triple book because there are not enough 20-minute slots in a day for me to see enough patients to make the hospital happy because they count my value by the number of surgeries I do. So I am not saying, because it's going to appall the, the business people out there that, oh, you want to make people wait. But how do we solve that juxtaposition? Because we got to see patients. Yeah. That's one question. Second question is, I would like you to translate for me so that I can translate to my CFO how much money is time? Yep. What is a minute worth? Yeah. Those are both great questions. So on the first one, so version one for Duke, the, like the pilot, we picked this really conservative versions that we knew wouldn't increase the length of your workday. So you could say you'd keep the same number of slots. You wouldn't decrease your, your revenue. And the double of booking would still be there because you sometimes you need to, especially if you have, it's just how your flow works. We just moved them to the right spots. So like the double booking will still happen, like the right cadence. And it's personalized to like to who you're working with that day, if it's your fellow or your PA. So it's all accounted for. And what we do in the model is we put a constraint in of saying, see at least the same number of patients unless you tell us you want more. And I don't want my day to increase by more than a minute. And we put that in and we'll give you exactly the best template. And not only that, we've gone to the point now where we, we can show you all the, the other templates. Like all you could you could sort through our templates and say, you know, I'm okay with my length of day going by five minutes extra if it's gonna really move the needle on patient experience. And you can make that decision now. The second piece I'll tell you, so in terms of turnaround in clinic, 
in like the OR. So as, as a physician, I don't want us to be in the business of making us feel like hamsters of like going like patient to patient. But what we have discovered is that once you get to past eight to 10 exam rooms in scale, especially past that, there's reliably more space in the clinic from like a real estate perspective to treat more people. So if you room share among the team members who are there dynamically in real time, basically with screens and our kind of modeling, there's easily usually a space for another attending physician at least. And so our modeling for Duke, for example, I can say this because we're going to be publicly announcing is probably about $30 million conservatively of extra margin per year of margin of fitting in using your existing real estate to bring in extra providers. And then there's like the cost savings of like not building new buildings, equipment, things of that nature. We haven't done it per the second. I think more of it, like if your profit margin is 5% today, I think we could get it up to like double it. That's kind of what the math I think works out to be. How does though on a, and this is so granular and Sasha's making, but this is the reality for practicing. If you're pod sharing, if you will, oh, this pod is going to have empty rooms, but my pod is pod two. And I work with a staff that knows me. I don't want my patients over there. How, how are you going to do that? That's a great question. So we, we put it into the scalability question. You can choose your constraints now. So it's for scheduling, it's all fully automated. And for room sharing, it probably will be by like the next month. And what you'll be able to do is when you when your clinic is ready to room share, because not everybody's just going to jump into it, but you're ready to have that layer on, you can tell the system, here are my constraints. Like I want to just use these rooms and we'll simulate your opportunity just based on what you've told us your constraints are. But what we'll also do is tell it tell you what, what your results would be like if you didn't put the constraints. And so you can make the data-driven decision of like, is it worth my ROI to do this or not? Like, is there a gain? I choose to be less efficient. Yeah, because it's really, it turns out to be not worth that much. So, Well, maybe back to the, the personalization point, maybe I missed it. But say a clinician, you've optimized the efficiency, but can you optimize the, I guess, the upside, if you will, if or selective types of patients? So if you said, this subgroup is much more likely to have a procedure, this subgroup I need for a clinical trial I'm enrolling in, or I want to prioritize urge patients that say their visit is urgent and it's a true bona fide urgent visit, do you have the ability to weight the types of people that are showing up on the, on the agenda for the day to put them in at a higher priority or a higher rate? Yeah, that's a good question. So that's the kind of stuff we get asked a lot, like, insurance arbitrage or other types of arbitrage. Eventually, yes, the capabilities are actually not hard. It's more of a focus thing for us. What, I can, what we can do today and we'll be doing with folks is we are automating your cost structure, the labor and space level, individual patient level. So I know your cost structure for every patient. We don't share it, but we, 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 we build it. And so if you gave us the data of saying, here's how, my, how much I'm billing, I can tell you down to the ICD code, which patients you're making the most money off of. The next level of saying next to surgery, that's just adding on the machine learning to, to predictions, which is not hard. It would just be the next yeah, can you wait those? piece of things. It's just, it's just like the build time, but that's the future. Okay. The, the goal is to have an opt-in network where people are going to be able to benchmark <laughs> these kinds of things. Like what is the, delivers the most value? So like outcomes and costs and revenue. We say opt-in because it'd be very sensitive for us to actually share people's data, but that's the goal. So I hope by next year is that some of the leading sensors that we're working with can start benchmarking on this really granular data and start answering these questions of like, what kind of patients might do better in certain environments. One more from me. I, I wanted to ask you, you made the case about margin, which the health system loves. Okay. That's, that makes a lot of sense. What drives the IT department crazy is when I come along and say, I've got a new thing and it doesn't 
actually communicate with the EMR. And you said that's not important. Kind of walk us through your thinking. How does that play out? Yeah, uh, going that's forward? that's a great question. So I look at it. Um, we do it. So this this is our playbook, which has worked pretty well so far. So to go live, we just need Wi-Fi access for first like level before you do all the personalization because it's like before you we can do personalization, but before you all do the, the deep learning of like patient variables, we don't need to be EMR integrated. To show it in real time, we do. And so we say, we usually go to our champion who's almost always a physician and a physician plus a practice manager. And we say, we're going to make this really easy so you can get the cell internally really easily to IT. You can say, oh, here's Apprentice Health. They're going to be super lightweight. Like let's show the ROI. And then what has happened is that People usually go straight up to the business leadership, so the operation side, and then operational leadership tells IT, this is a strategic imperative. We want to do that. That's the, that's like the Duke story. There's a couple other places that we'll eventually announce that that's a similar story. We have a health system we're about to work with is like, I think might be the largest system in the Southwest. For the first time, technology management is actually driving the show. So we might start seeing some of that, but I think it's for a long time, it's going to be clinician led saying, this is important for us. Go to your operation, operational leadership, and we can show them the modeling of the margin and say, like, come on, guys, let's let's get this going. Well, this is a follow-up to the IT, because even if it's driven from the very top at the COO level, or and they say, yes, IT, we need this. And, and this is a real situation for us. Most IT people understand their role, IT security people understand it so well, they don't care who's telling them. So are you guys already prepared with all the compliance? You are compatible with Epic and Cerner. You can ping the cloud without violating our three firewalls. Yep. We, we are. So we're SOC 2 certified. So we had to for, for Duke. And so one of the things, decisions we made early was to target large enterprise health systems, kind of an opposite story, because we're looking to, Mark and I were talking about some really fast growing health systems that want to expand their clinic footprint. And so we audit ourselves, we have certifications. And so now we have a playbook that you can give to your IT department and say, here it is. And now we'll start to be able to show logos of like so-and-so is working with them. They'll still go through the process, but we now check the boxes of what they need to see. Which will help your champion tremendously. Exactly. Great questions. Well, the, the audience is, you guys are lit up. So I've got some great questions from Squirrel and Fred Flintstone and Julius Caesar. And I'm going to, I'm going to let it rip. Big, uh, the most, <laughs> sorry, Julius, Julius Caesar. So first question is like leaderboards. So I think of, you know, when we fly, if our upgrades aren't posted, we're sort of at this point, we're sort of awfully disappointed. What about leaderboards? What about reviews? What about smartphone integration? How have you guys, have you thought about all that? going to happen. It's more of like a f focus and like what gives the first value win. So what we're going to be doing starting next two weeks from now is real-time wait time leaderboards in every waiting room, plus for the teams to see in their own views in the hallways. So people can get a sense of who's waiting for how long, when. Smartphone integration will come. We, we, we phase it because it'll be technically it's actually very easy to send SMSs and do apps, but politically in IT, there's so many vendors doing updates for things by SMS that we don't want to cloud what our core message is. And then people understand that oh, that's fairly easy technically for them to do later. Those things will come. I think what we're likely to do first is make our hardware into a platform, things like add-on voice and other capabilities to make the full smart clinic. What about uh, the exception you, you, you probably hear from some hospital systems is, oh, this sounds impersonal. We have a system right now and I don't think my wait times are that long. How do you address that? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So 
I think the first piece I would tell them is this is actually the personification of personalization. So the first time you can actually use your data all the way down to the physician and individual team and say, this is what my team should do, not the kind of template approach that most people take of everybody should look like this. The second piece of that is everybody does have a wait time problem because it's actually a mathematical guarantee. There's a Google different ways to schedule these templates. So you're unlikely to have discovered it. So at a health system, some of their clinics are going to be really bad to start with. And so it's kind of like a money ball approach. If you're starting out like the C level, you can say, just tell me which of your clinics are the worst. Space part, which is where the immediate ROI is for more physicians. We know that once you go past a scale of about 10 clinics, there will be ROI. And so we'll just, we'll just say, if you want to do a pilot, pick the places that we know are going to have some value. And we'll just show you. We'll do a subscription. We'll, go, we'll partly go at risk. We'll make it easy for everybody. Let's get the pilot out of the way and then talk about what larger integration implementation looks like. We, we had two great questions around uh, physician documentation burden. And so when I think of the more, obviously, the more this information gets automated, the less the smaller the notes you have to take. So let's talk about the documentation burden. Are you impacting that given the fact that you're really not touching the HR? Yeah. So today, no. Very soon, yes. So Massachusetts passed a rule. The Mass Medical Board passed a rule earlier in the summer now, surgeons have to document a timestamp every time they leave the OR. This is due to a bad outcome at MGH. Northwell Hospital also lost a big lawsuit. So we're in talks with major New England systems. Name. We're potentially going to power the smart ORs of the future and do this documentation. And then we, you know, if we are executing well in the next year, we're going to turn our platform into a voice platform and have the full ambient experience and offer all the scribing companies like Robin AI, Augmetic, Suki, if they want to come on board and enable the experience that you walk into your exam room, the microphone turns on and your scribe starts. And so that's the way I look at how we're going to contribute to that piece. And the final question, it's a great one. I got two of them. They basically said, well, I've never had wait times. You know, I've walked into clinics, I've never had wait times. Okay, if we were basically to think about adopting this, when are you going to have a calculator? When are you going to tell me that uh, your doctors can see N more patients, that your your patients are, uh, MBS scores are, are that much better? When are you going to basically be able to have a calculator on your website to show your advantage? That's a really good question. So for wait times, you can't. So it's math. Physicians are like s snowflakes. Everybody really is different from what we've seen our data. So the extensibility of it, I don't think it's even worth having a calculator. On space though, so like how much space, some, what's my ROI going to be there? The answer is within a year. So we're going to have the largest data set of clinic operations in the US, I believe. And so as we go live, we're going to be able, you're going to be able to take us to your COO and plug us in. And if you tell us how many rooms you have in the specialty, we're going to tell you what you could be doing based on what we've seen in other people's workflows, still keeping their data private, but just from our data and then show you the deltas. And then you might be like, if you see a large delta, you might be like, oh, let's try them out there and see what it actually looks like when you measure the flows. Well, this is great. So we're at the end of our time. And all I, I can say is that, uh, look, this is where healthcare is going. This is where what happened in retail. This is what we saw happen in fintech and all of the other sectors that uh, our patients, our customers, our consumers are demanding this type of interaction with their vendors and with their suppliers. So first of all, I wanted to thank the panel. Great questions, guys. It was really valuable. Uh, Rajiv, this is, uh, you know, next year you're going to be able to come with calculators and online reviews and give everyone else the app here. And I think we're all going to be really excited. And But this is a great first step. Imagine when, you know, you get, you get that many more health systems on here. It's a great way for patients to, you know, fundamentally be able to pick the clinic of choice. But thank you again. Thank you, panelists. And uh, we'll keep going. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of season three of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast and that you heard something that will trigger your curiosity and advance your digital journey. Many of the examples we bring you are outside of orthopedics, but the technologies and solutions we present are all eminently translatable to musculoskeletal care. Please consider giving us a review on your podcast platform so other people can find us. More importantly, tell a friend about our amazing community. We look forward to sharing the next episode with you. I am your host, Stefano Bini, founder and chair of both the Digital Orthopedics Conference San Francisco and this, the Digital Orthopedics Podcast.